This is the day the Lord has made. Thank you for joining us in worship today. We praise God for you and however you're listening. We pray the message you receive will allow you to strengthen your relationship in Christ and build his kingdom as we seek God, shape lives, and serve the world. Let us pray. God, have your way on this day. Speak to us and speak through us that your word may come into our minds, our hearts, but also into our actions. This is a year of action, God. And we ask, God, that you would so speak to us that every last one of us will hear and understand and believe and then use your word on a daily basis that you might get the praise, the honor, and the glory. Speak, Holy Ghost, speak. Let us hear your words. Let us receive your words. Let us live your word. We thank you for this brand new day you've given unto us, an opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Our subject, are you ready for a miracle? Woo, hallelujah. Are you ready for a miracle? Oh, hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. If there ever was a time of year that we look for miracles, it's Christmas time. Uh, something special should and many times does happen around Christmas. It's a time that even down through the years, there have been wars and countries would decide that they would, would not have a war, they would have a truce because it's Christmas. Wow, stop fighting just because it's Christmas. Seems as if every movie now points to some kind of an extraordinary occurrence that happens because it's Christmas. Uh, not just the Hallmark Christmas movies, but even the much older ones, such as Miracle on 34th Street. Even It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, you can even look at a Medea's Christmas, or This Christmas, or The Preacher's Wife. The list goes on and on and on. It's great to look for and expect miracles, especially in a time when miracles are needed. Miracles are needed in a world that has seemingly given up on those things that matter most. People are more cynical, more skeptical than ever before, and appear to not expect anything to ever get better. But nothing can be farther from the truth. The miracle that we need is closer than you think. Hallelujah. Are you ready for a miracle? Do you need a miracle this Christmas? Sickness and death all around us. The Omicron variant is real. The Delta variant is still a dominant force. Hospitals are filling up again with many who are not vaccinated for whatever reason, making it still increasingly more difficult to treat those with other illnesses. Are you ready for a miracle? Hatred still runs rampant. People can't stand one another and will pull a pistol on you in a second just because. Because what, Pastor? Because you won't do what I want you to do. Because you won't move fast enough. 
because you're moving too fast. Because <laughs> you're just not responding the way I want you to respond. I want you to do what I want you to do because now everybody got a pistol. I got a gun, you got a gun. All of God's people and not God's people got a gun. <laughs> this world is one large powder keg and the fuse has been lit. But are you ready for a miracle? It's Christmas and I have some good news. The real Christmas miracle is here. Seeing that we all want to experience the miracle of this Christmas, let's look at the motive, the method, and the means of the miracle that transformed lives forever. In our text, in John 3, 16, we find these words, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In 1 John 3.16, we find these words, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What is the motive? What is the motive for this miracle? The motive is love. The miracle is positioned to happen because of love. I know Tina asked the question, what love got to do with it? You need to know that love has everything to do with it. Look at the text, it says, for God so loved the world. It, 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 the motivation is love. It, his motive is love. He so loved the world that he did something about it. And then 1 John 3 16 tells us, and we ought love. Love ought to be our motive. Love ought to be the reason, the direction of why we're doing what we're doing. If we would do things out of love, not out of anger. If we would do things out of love, not out of fear. If we would do things out of love, not out of because I want it my way. If we would do it out of love that God could get the glory and follow the example that God gave. For God so loved the world. Love is the motive behind what God has done for us and how we get the miracle that's right present with us today. It's all wrapped up and tied up in love. Love is the motive. Love is the motive. Think about it. Think about the things that you do. When they say perfect love casts out all sin. And I know there are things and places we would not go. Individually, we would not go. I, I'll never forget the time we're talking about the fact that um, when people go into the crack houses, I know I'm dating myself now, that's some years ago. And um, we were talking about folks who said, no, I would never go in no crack house. You know, somebody in the crack, no, that's dangerous, folk and all that. And I believe most of us, all of us would have said, no, I, I, you know, I don't have no business to go in a crack house. I'm not going in no crack house. It's dangerous. People in there doing drugs and all this. But I can tell you of a father whose son was in the crack house. And no matter what kind of fear you may have had, no matter, no matter kind of what ambitions you may have had and said, no, I can't do that. I, I just can't do that. Well, un, under normal circumstances, no, you would not even think about going to crack house. But when love kicks in, woo, I'm telling the story goes that when he went in there and said, I want my son. And folk could look in his face and see, don't care if they had guns on them and was everything else. I want my son and I want him now. It's something about love that just go ahead and transcends whatever you thought about going on doing on your life before. 
It's that love that God had for us. Love, had, that was the motive for why he sent his son Jesus. That's the motive for why Jesus came. That's the motive for why we can celebrate Christmas. When people say that Jesus is the reason for the season, no, Jesus is the reason why we live, period. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's not just head of our life. He is our life. And if we understand that the motive is love, we can understand more about what it is that will cause us to do what we do if the motive is in place and the motive is love. You can forgive folk if you love them. Let me say it again. Your lights. You can forgive folk if you... It, it, it sounded like we were not in person again. I, I just... I thought I was talking to the camera again, you know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you can forgive folk if you, if you love... That, I'm telling you, love is the motive. And sometimes we will say to ourselves, yeah, I love them, and y'all got to get out of this. I love them, but I don't like them. I don't know where we get that from. You know, I love them. I just don't like them. All right, well, listen, listen. Look, if love is the motive because God loves you, God loves me, God loves us, and He loved us so much that even though we've sinned, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We, we didn't deserve it. We weren't doing anything right. We didn't have everything in the right place. But because of the motive of love, He reached out to us that we might be able to get saved. But, but not only do we have the motive being love, we need to look at the method. How do we work this thing out? How does it work in our life? If the motive is love, then but how does it, notice? Notice it's not everybody because it's, it's a condition here. Notice what, what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, <laughs> y'all got to hear that, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The motive is love, but the method is faith. Yeah. Love was the, if, listen, if love was the method, then everyone would be saved. The, yeah. The motive is love, but the method is faith. We have to believe that God is and that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Yeah, yeah. If, if you have love, you on, on top of just saying I, I love, love will be evidenced by the acts and the things that you do. The love will be evidenced by the actions that we have. So, so, so love, yeah, love is not the method. Love, love, is the, love is the motive, but faith is the method. Notice in John 3.16 again, it says, for God, for whoever believes in him. But notice what happens in John, 1 John 3.17. It says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? That's the question. How does God's love abide in him? Then he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Whoever believes in God, not the whole world, but whoever believes in him, that's the method. It happens by faith. Do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary and that he lived and died and rose from the grave? How do you know that you believe that? How does the world know that you believe that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose from the grave? How does the world know you believe that? Is it through what you have said or is it through what you in fact do? It's through our faith. The Bible is clear. Faith without works is dead. Again, 1 John 3. But if anyone has the world's goods 
and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In the year of action, we have seen how important it is for us to serve. We seek God through worship. We shape lives through teaching. We serve the world through mission and evangelism. We serve by doing the work God has called us to do. The miracle that transformed the world lives within us. We become the miracle that we are looking for. Who would be the miracle in your family? Who would be the miracle in your school? Who would be the miracle in your community? Who would be the, the miracle in Savannah? Who would be the miracle in this world? You. You would be the miracle. You are the miracle. Yes, you are the miracle. Now I know the question is, how can I be the miracle? I don't feel like the miracle. I'm looking for the miracle. By what means can this happen? By what means can I be the miracle? Mm, how can this be? Sound, sound a little bit like what Virgin Mary said when the angel told her that you will have this holy thing. This child, she said, how can that be? Seeing that I know not a man, how can this be? That's how you ask him more. How can I be this miracle pastor you're talking about? How can this be? Well, the motive is love. The method is faith. But the means is Jesus. How does this miracle happen? It happens through Jesus. Jesus can work. This one song says, Jesus can work it out. Y'all heard that song before? Jesus can't work it out. Jesus can't work it out. Jesus can't work it out. But, I, but the truth in that song is this. Jesus can work it out, and it says, if you let him. Y'all got to hear this today. Jesus can work it out if you let him. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. It's saying God has so empowered us when we've given our lives to him. And we say, Lord, I've sinned. I'm sorry for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, rose from the grave, come into my life. The Bible says he comes in. Because of your profession of faith, the Lord comes into your life. And now you're empowered to do the work God has called you to do. You can love when you thought you couldn't love. Yeah, you can forgive when you thought you couldn't forgive. You, you, you can live a life of joy when you thought you couldn't because of who God is and how God lives in us. Pastor, how does that happen? What do you mean Jesus lived in me? I thought he was sitting at the right hand of the Father. You are so right. Jesus, who died, rose from the grave, is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. But when he died, before he died his physical death, he told his disciples, I will send you another comforter. In other words, I'll send you another me. And then he was carried up into heaven and he sent back the Holy Spirit who lives in us and who guides us, who directs us. Let me give you an example of that. How, how, don't, don't raise your hand on this. This is hypothetical. Don't, do, do not raise your hands on what I'm about to say, okay? Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't confess this morning because somebody watching, we might catch it on camera and somebody say, I knew it. So don't, don't do that. But, but how many of you, when, when, when you've seen, when you've done stuff, you knew you had no business doing the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, don't do it. 
and yet you did <laughs> and yet you did it anyhow oh yes I'm talking to you the Holy Spirit lives in us and we got all oh, there have been things that you know you should have done and you decided I ain't gonna do that I don't want to do that no no you, 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 you need to you need to tell them that you're sorry oh, I ain't gonna tell them that they're gonna think I'm soft I'm not gonna no. but the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding your Holy Spirit. listen if you've confessed Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior and you allowed him to come into your life, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you if you let him. He's not going to force himself on you, but you become the miracle by allowing God to live in you in the way God wants to live in you and make the transformation in your life and in the lives of others because people, other people right now are looking for a miracle. The truth of the matter is this. The Bible teaches us this. This, this is something I learned in seminary, so it's not, it's, not, it's not anything extra for this. This is a seminary lesson. <laughs> Is that miracles or not for Christians? Miracles are not for believers. The reason Jesus did all these, all these miracles wasn't for those who believed in him. It was so that those who did not believe can come to know him. Woo. So, so in actuality, you already have the miracle. You already have the power. Yeah, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Yeah, we, we know this, we know this, we know that he's the means through his prophetical appearance. In other words, it was prophesied that Jesus would be born, that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. It was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. All, 400 years plus before he was even born, all of this was prophesied just to let us know that he is who he said he is. He was anointed. He lived anointed and consecrated life without sin. So as he could be that perfect lamb that would take away the sins of the world, that he would live in such a way that as he lived, others would be able to see his light, be able to follow his light and his life. That's why the gospel teaches us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John what Jesus did so we can see what it is that we ought to do. God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. But that's why he came. But because of his love, his grace, and his mercy, not only did he come and live on this earth, he allowed men to talk about him, to allow men to ridicule him, allowed men to do everything to him. The same kind of temptations that you have Jesus had, the same kind of um, you're getting hot, getting cold, all those things, Jesus did that in a physical body, but yet he did it and he went through all of that so you and I could have life everlasting. What do you mean, Pastor? We get so caught up on the things of this world, we get so caught up on wanting things the way we want it till we can almost miss heaven by saying, I'm mad that this didn't go my way, but did it go God's way? Woo! Did it go the way God wanted? Because we say, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are the call according to his purpose. He continues to tell us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He constantly reminds us of how good God is and how good he's already been to us. You're looking for God to do something else. You're looking for God to help you win the lottery. You're looking for God to help you get this windfall of money. But God says, I've already blessed you. I've already kept you. I brought you safe this far. And I've already made a way for you. Well, what way did you make for me, God? And he can tell you what he did for us. He allowed men to do all that they did to him. And he allowed them to take him to a cross. He allowed them to put nails in his hands, nails in his feet, with a crown of thorns on his head. And because he loved you so much, and because he loved me so much, the Bible says he died for all of our sins. Oh, yes, we did sin, and we have messed up. 
I said, oh yes, we have sinned and we have messed up. I said, oh yes, we have sinned and we have messed up and we need a savior. We need one to die for us. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. So he did die for all of us, all of our sins. The Bible is clear about that. He took on all of our sins and he'll forgive us of all unrighteousness. He was placed in a borrowed tomb, stayed there all night Friday, stayed there all day Saturday, stayed there all night Saturday. But early on that Sunday morning, the Bible says he got up with all power, power over the grave, victory over death. That's victorious for us today. Because as much as we love this life, as much as we love being in this life, as much as we love getting what we're going to get every Christmas, every birthday, what we're going to get whenever we can get whatever we're going to get, as much as we love doing this, there's another place, there's another building, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. That's why we can rejoice and say when we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. That's why we make moan and miss those loved ones who've gone from labor to reward, those who are not with us this Christmas. But yet if we know that they love God, yet if we know in fact that they had a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we know that they're in a situation where they're having joy and having peace and having the best Christmas ever. Oh my brothers, oh my sisters, if anybody does not have the best Christmas ever, if anybody today says, I don't know about having a great Christmas, I don't know because I need a miracle in my life. If you need a miracle in your life, I want you to know right now, the miracle is already present. The miracle is real right now. The miracle is ready to say, yes, come unto me, all you that labor the heaven laden. I will give you rest. If you're ready right now, the miracle is saying, come on right now. You can accept me as Lord and Savior. The miracle is waiting because when the miracle lives in us, we become the miracle God has called us to be. Somebody ought to say amen. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you. He did it for you. He did it for me. Sometimes it seems difficult to really understand it, but let me, let me just say this to you. Just trust God. Don't go through so much of understanding and figuring it out and everything. You're not going to be, ever be able to figure God out. Can you figure out why he will love you being who you are? No, I'm talking about the real you. I ain't talking about the real the you everybody else sees. Can, can you just figure out how he can love you, how he can love me, how he can love us with all of us stuff, but yet he does? How do you know he loves us? Because he sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There may be those who listen right now that say, I need the Lord in my life. I really do want to have a Merry Christmas. I really do want to have a joyous time this Christmas. I need the Lord in my life. I, I, I need to recognize that who he is and what he's done and how much he means to me and how much he could mean to my family, how much he could mean to my entire situation. I need the Lord in my life. And if you're listening and you're participating and you're on Facebook, YouTube, or podcast, and you want to accept Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior, even if you're in this building, Right now, you could pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer that you have to pray for yourself. I can't pray it for you. I can lead you in a prayer. And in this prayer, we're going to talk about the fact that God loves you so much. He loves you so much. And in the prayer. And because of his love, he said, all you have to do is just admit that we've sinned and come short. Now, listen, that's not a, a great revelation for us because all have sinned and come short. So if you just say that, that that's fine. The Bible knows that all have sinned and come short. And the ways of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Whoever believes. But what do you have to believe? 
You believe that Jesus came, that he died for our sins and rose from the grave. Romans 10, 9 says, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the word of God. You shall be saved. You believe that. So in this prayer, we're going to pray that you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the grave. In this prayer, we'll have your willingness, willing to turn from your sins. Now, that's the faith part. I'm willing to live like you want me to live. And then, Lord, help me to live like you want me to live. Help me to be the man, woman, boy, girl you want me to be. Allow him to come into your life. So if you want to pray that prayer with me as we pray today, please repeat these words after me to accept the Lord into your life, wherever you are. Say, Father God, I have sinned. I have not been all I should be. I am sorry for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I believe in my heart Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave. I'm willing to trust you, God, all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Help me to be what you want me to be. I will tell others that you saved me. Thank you, God, for saving me right now. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, please take time to let us know. You can contact us by calling the church office at 912-233-6597. 912-233-6597. Leave us a message and we'll get back in touch with you. Or you can go ahead and scan the code and you can just contact us by email, by text, let us know. And we're praying with you that you will grow in God and be more of what God would have you to be. We're so grateful for what the Lord has done and what he continues to do in all of our lives. And we'll continue to trust him with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. On behalf of the entire First African Baptist Church family, we say to you, Merry Christmas. May God bless you that you have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas. That as family comes together, as friends come together, that you will celebrate and give God glory. What better time is it to help people who are desperate and destitute and down and disheartened to let them know that joy lives? Yes, joy lives. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Hallelujah. I would be remiss if I didn't remind us that we need to give through Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y. I'm not sure why folk wouldn't stand around me pointing at me and making sure I made that statement. Nobody bothered me, you know. Ain't like we don't need it, you know. But God, listen, God has it all. Yeah, God has it all. And so we ask as you leave whatever that you place your offering in the receptacles. Don't forget that we're asking everyone for our church anniversary, our 200th and 44th church anniversary. We're asking you to please, ma'am, please, sir, um, Give a tithe. That's the amount. We're not asking you to give $244 or whatever else. Just give 10% of what you've received. If you're not tithing, give 10% of what you have gotten on your check. Gross check. 10%. Move the decimal point one place to the left. Then that'll give you the figure that you ought to be paying the tithe. You understand how to do that, right? Shake your head if y'all understand. All right. 10%. All right. Amen. That's what it is. This month, we ask you to do that this month, this month for, for church anniversary, because we're almost at the end. And those of you who are already tithing, whatever amount you want to give an offering, church anniversary offering, just give. And it should be noted church anniversary on, the, on Givelify. Again, thank you so much.
We thank God for you. I don't think there's any other thing that I've forgotten. God bless you. Again, we're asking that you would, you would leave from the rear after the benediction um, as the ushers uh, escort you from where you are. God bless you. What? Listen, God loves us all. And listen, you're the miracle that God has. You're ready for a miracle. You are the miracle God has called you to be. And we're giving God all the praise, the honor, and the glory for what he's done in us, what he will do in us. And listen, go and enjoy Jesus. Have a celebration. Just celebrate Jesus all this week. And let the world see Christ in you. Now we ask that the grace that God will guide us, keep us, strengthen us, and bless us. Now we ask that the grace of God, the love of Jesus, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit would rest, rule, and abide with us. Now, henceforth, and forevermore, let all the people of God say amen. And praise God. Please remain seated in the center aisle, the outer aisles. Just remain seated till the ushers come to your aisle. Thank you. Remain connected to us as we build God's kingdom together. Join us on Facebook at the historic First African Baptist Church and our website, firstafricanbc.com. You may also contribute through an app called Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y. May God bless you and thank you for worshiping with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go on and praise him. It was you, Lord, that pulled us all the way through 2021. It was you at the end of last year, Lord, when we were so happy to look forward to a new year and Corona said, I ain't finished with you yet. It was you. Lord, it was you. Hallelujah. God, so good. So good. Hallelujah. It's indeed an honor and a privilege for me to stand before you on this morning. I give honor to my pastor, the Reverend Thurman Neil Tillman to this congregation, to all those who are watching on YouTube and Facebook. We thank God for you this morning. If you would turn with me in your Bibles again to Matthew, the second chapter. We'll read again in your hearing verses 13 through 18. Hallelujah. If you found it, let it be known by a hearty amen. amen. If you're still looking, say, help me, Lord. All right. I ain't hear no help me, Lord, so we have found it. Read along with me silently as I read aloud. It says, verse 13, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. 
And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed and all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you, we praise you, and we magnify you on today. We give you the glory and honor that's due your name. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who died for us. And Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And we thank you, Lord, that you thought it not robbery to allow us to wake up this morning with our mind fixed on you, to wake up and decide to come into the house of worship on this morning. Lord, this is your Bible. These are your people. I'm your man for this moment. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If I had to give a title to today's message, I would simply title it Trouble After Christmas. Trouble After Christmas. I want to take time and do a comparison and contrast of two kings. As I research this text and look to see what some of the ancient fathers of the faith had written about it, and maybe preached in the past, I couldn't find much. Many of them chose to skip this passage. I can remember in my lifetime one preacher that I've heard preach a sermon from this text, and that's where I borrow my subject, the late, great Reverend Cameron Alexander, who was our state president for many years, preached when I was just a teenager from this subject, and it had such an impression on me that I've chosen to borrow the topic. The sermon isn't quite the same. I'm in no way as great a preacher as Cameron Alexander. But if you bear with me, we're going to let God have his way. So we look at Matthew 2 as actually a postlude to the holy day, the holiday that we call Christmas, the day we celebrated just on yesterday. It includes the visit of the Magi, or the wise men, as we call them. If you read the story, of the Magi visit, it doesn't say that they went to Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, Jesus at this time was probably not in Bethlehem. Remember, Joseph and Mary had come from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register where Jesus was born. Eight days later, he and Mary took Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to be presented and witnessed by Simeon and Anna. And when they returned to Nazareth, this was what happened 
It's probably a year or so later in Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Jesus, King Herod, the Magi from the east, who were probably princes or from the area of Babylon, they traveled some 900 to 1,000 miles, which was at that time probably a six-month journey. They came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him, the Bible says. When he called together all the peoples, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied. Says, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and Make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They probably followed the star some 68 miles from Jerusalem to Nazareth. According to Luke 2 and 39, it says, When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth, talking about Mary and Joseph here. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Matthew 2.13 says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He says, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape into Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. And they stayed there until Herod had died. And on that occasion, two different prophecies were fulfilled. And it says in verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. We look back in the scriptures, we can consider Matthew 1 in the historical approach as sort of a Christmas Eve. It's God's fulfillment of promises and predictions at Jesus' birth. But in the second chapter, we see here more of the same overwhelming evidence after 400 years of silence during the time between the Old and New Testament during the time between B.C. and A.D., God speaks loudly and clearly through his son. The story of Matthew 2 displays the 
extreme contrast between two kings. There is much history recorded about King Herod. He was known for his colossal building projects in Jerusalem and elsewhere, including his expansion of the second temple in Jerusalem, which is historically referred to as Herod's temple. It's a well-known historical fact that he was preoccupied with his power and prestige and his possessions. He was never satisfied with his personal wealth and seemed to have a rather poor self-image in spite of his position. He was a man who was preoccupied with paranoia of self-preservation. He was always afraid of losing his prestige, his power, and his position, so much so that he murdered many people. That's the way he often dealt with his fears. His title of Herod the Great was widely disputed since he was also described as a madman who murdered his own family, going so far as to murder his wife and two of his sons. Although he was a convert to the Jewish religion, he murdered many great rabbis. His notoriety for infanticide, killing the baby boys of Bethlehem, did not protect his power and prestige, but it actually paved the way for his own death. Many people, me included, questioned why God did not just kill Herod instead of allowing Herod to kill those children. I can't fully understand or answer that question. But it's evident from our passage that Herod was used by God to fulfill Old Testament prophecies claim is often that those children were innocent and did not deserve death. But that's not entirely true. They were still born in sin and deserving of death. I know that don't sound good, but that's the Bible. The main point is that God preserved the Messiah for the mission to which he was called to be born, to minister, and to prove he was the perfect son of God. He endured temptation. More than that, he endured a gruesome death on the cross. But there was a glorious resurrection and ascension as the king of kings and the lord of lords. On the other hand, King Herod was a proud, paranoid, egotistical murderer whose kingdom died along with him. King Jesus was not just the opposite, but he was so much more. Understand this, that when you attempt to hold on to power and prestige, you always end up taking from others, and in the end, you lose. King Jesus still filled with promise. Even though there was trouble after Christmas, King Jesus not only did he fulfill prophecy, but he is still fulfilling his promises. Promises are all about fulfillment. They're about fulfillment to others. Promises about filling others, not taking from others. Remember the word fulfill. One of the meanings is to be filled to the brim. When you are filled to the brim or fulfilled, you spill over. And Jesus already is filled with every good and godly thing. And he promises to give all perfect things to us. Jesus doesn't take from us 
in order to satisfy himself, he gives to satisfy you. So from his fullness, you will be filled. Jesus didn't take anything from us except our sin. His promise is to give you not just something, but all things necessary for you to be filled with goodness from God. King Jesus is still filled with peace and eternal glory. If you can imagine this, Herod, who killed his own wife and two sons, to say that Jesus is the opposite is a gross understatement. See, the exact contrast would be that Jesus did not kill his loved ones. But Jesus went infinitely beyond that. It's impossible for Jesus to be anything but infinite in every way that he exists. He didn't not only not kill his loved ones, but he actually gave up his own life for his loved ones. Jesus is infinitely and eternally and perfectly protecting and providing for his children. Holy power and purpose. Matthew 2 ends with these words, he will be called a Nazarene. If a person took the vow of a Nazarene, it meant that they were set apart for God's purposes. The word Nazareth means the guarded one. And in this story, Jesus was certainly guarded and protected by not only Joseph, but by the Father who also protects us. What a tremendous contrast to King Herod who resembles the prince of this world. See, if we understand the prince of this world, I'm talking about the devil, he comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes to deceive, if possible, and it's not, even the elect of God, God's chosen children. The devil twists the truth of the word of God every chance he gets. He started in the beginning with Adam and Eve by a simple question, did God really say he just wants to cast a little doubt. He tries to obstruct the way of the heavenly father's love. Satan, the word Satan in Hebrew means adversary, resistance, opposition. He tries to dethrone King Jesus by doing everything he can. But Jesus is still reigning today on his heavenly throne. Many people today deny that Jesus is reigning. They deny that he is reigning as king now, but to do so is to deny that Jesus is Lord in Christ. Ephesians 1.18 and following says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Understand this. The Magi story is much more than a contrast of two kings. It is a contrast between two distinct kingdoms. It is a contrast between the kingdoms of this world and that of the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, Jesus. Jesus is reigning and shall reign forever. Where is Herod? Historical fact records that Herod received word of Jesus' birth when he was already old and failing in health. 
but he was still crafty and cruel and calloused. He demonstrated how he was totally unlike the wise men because Herod sought to reject and destroy the Messiah, as does most of the world. But I want to give you some good news. Wise men still seek him. Today, though wise men and women still seek Jesus from all corners of the earth, Isaiah 55 is a powerful chapter of warning as well as comfort. Verse 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon not about getting sick, but everything concerned with the pardon and the forgiveness of sin. Wise people still search God's words and seek the Savior. Wise people do not discard or discredit God's message, but listen to his warnings. Ephesians 1.14 says, for this reason it says, awake sleeper, you who are spiritually sleeping and arise from the dead, don't be eternally and spiritually dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Verse 11 of our text said, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down. They fell on their faces. What would cause princes to fall on their faces before a young child in the home of a carpenter. John 18, 6, same thing happened to the guards who were trying to arrest Jesus. He said to them, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. They worshiped him. It was Jesus. He said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He saw the unholy one fall from the presence of the holy one. It is what Mary, Jairus, the leper, the blind man, they all did it in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. It was what Paul did on the Damascus road when he heard the voice from heaven bellowed, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was what Isaiah did when he saw the thrice holy Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, when he cried out, Woe is me, for I'm a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He worshiped. It's what John did before the presence of the holy Jesus in Revelation. It is what the 24 elders did before Jesus in the heavenly throne in Revelation 4. It is what the very stars of the heaven will one day do in the presence of his holy wrath. The only way that these magi would possibly fall down before this baby was if God had revealed to them that they were in the presence of the holy Messiah. So they did. They did what we should also do in his presence. They fell down and worshiped him. That is what wise men and women do, still do in his presence, in the presence of the Holy One of Heaven. The only possible response to a holy God and to a holy Savior is with a holy response. Today, wise men still seek Jesus and foolish ones reject him. Jesus is worshiped in all the nations of the world, but also everywhere he is wounded way that true worshipers 
ascribe authority, dignity, and honor to Christ is to serve him. Wise men and women still present their gifts in their lives. It is not optional. It is our logical and sensible response. It is only logical that when you have an encounter with the Holy One, when you have an encounter with the Christ, that you give everything to him. Herod hung on to his life and lost it. He refused the wisdom of God when the message of the Mazai was delivered to him. And he lost dearly. My question to you today is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? This Jesus who was born a cute little baby boy, but came to die. He came to live and die. But oh, I'm so glad that the story doesn't stop there. See, although he died on the cross, they took him down off that cross. They buried him in a bar tomb, and he stayed in that tomb all night, Friday night. Stayed there all day Saturday. But early on Sunday morning, he got up. Got up with all power. Power over death. Power over sickness. Power over the grave. He's coming again. Oh, I'm glad about it. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad about it. Glory to God. Wise men and women still worship him. They still seek him from afar, and they're still bowing down before him. Again, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? God bless you. If you're listening and you don't know what to do with Jesus, I want you to pray with me. It's a simple prayer. Simple prayer. See, Jesus died that you might live. He died for your eternal salvation. He gave up his life that you might have life and that life more abundantly. We're going to pray a simple prayer, and you can just pray along with me. Repeat after me this prayer. God, be remiss if you would leave here today after hearing the message of Jesus and turn away from him. It's a simple prayer. Let us pray. It says, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I want to turn away from my sinful life into the life you have planned for me. Please forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me of my past and make me new. I know your son Jesus died for me. I believe in my heart that he was raised from the dead. At this very moment I accept confess and proclaim Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior to live in my heart from this day forward. Thank you Jesus for your grace that has saved me from my sins and has given me eternal life. Please send your Holy Spirit to guide me, 
and to help me do your will for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, forget about a feeling, but it's a fact. He said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Salvation is a fact. It's not about a feeling. have our benediction in prayer, let us not for grant the opportunity to give. If you're in the house worshiping with us, there are offering boxes you can give. If you need a giving envelope, the ushers will get you one. Just raise your hand. For those of you that are online with us, you can go to our giving app, Givelify, G-I-V-E-L-I-F-Y, and you can give there. And you can also mail in your contributions to 23 Montgomery Street, Savannah, Georgia, 314 Zero one. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you, we praise you, and we magnify you again on today. We give you the glory and honor that's due your name. Lord, we thank you once again for your son Jesus who died for us. Lord, we thank you for everything that's been said and done here on the day, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that as you dismiss us from this place, but never your presence, that you would be with us, lead God, and direct us, protect us, and allow no hurt, harm, or danger to come upon us. And now may the grace of God the love of Jesus and the sweet communion of your Holy Spirit. Rest, rule, and abide with us now, henceforth, and forevermore. Let every heart say amen. Amen. Amen, amen. amen. amen again. I'm going to ask that you please remain seated while our ushers dismiss you.